Thank you for joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in October of 2020. And today we're gonna to be talking about the recommendations and report from the Union of Concerned Scientists, providing a roadmap for how to protect scientific integrity in US federal government agencies like the EPA. So our nation's public servants can use their scientific evidence in their policy decision-making and not be beholden to the whims of whichever political party is in the White House. These partisan politics and distortion have especially been a problem for government agencies during the Trump presidency. Our guest is Dr. Jacob Carter, and he's with the Union of Concerned Scientists. Let me tell you a little bit more about the organization and him. The Union of Concerned Scientists is a national nonprofit organization founded more than 50 years ago by scientists and students at MIT. Their mission is to use rigorous and dependent science to solve our planet's most pressing problems. Joining with people across the country, they combine technical analysis and effective advocacy to create innovative practical solutions for a healthy, safe, and sustainable future. Their website is ucsusa.org. Dr. Jacob Carter is a research scientist for the Center for Science and Democracy at the Union of Concerned Scientists. In this role, Dr. Carter investigates how science is used in the policymaking process, focusing on issues of scientific integrity across the federal government. Dr. Carter has a master's in biology from Kansas State University and a PhD in ecology and evolutionary biology and a certificate in environmental studies from the University of Kansas. Dr. Carter previously worked at the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, as a postdoctoral fellow. At the EPA, Dr. Carter integrated the effects of climate change into estimates of future coastal inundation on contaminated lands, such as brownfields and Superfund sites, to help guide decisions on adaptation efforts that could, be could better protect nearby communities from the spread of dangerous contaminants during future floods. He also helped model greenhouse gas emissions for the siting of renewable energy installations on green space versus contaminated lands as part of his work with EPA's Repowering America's Land Initiative. Prior to his postdoctoral position, Dr. Carter was at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, where he helped establish an interagency task force on improving the health of honeybees and other pollinators. He planned the planting of the first pollinator garden on the South Lawn of the White House and also worked on President Obama's Climate Action Plan. Welcome, Dr. Carter. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, you've got so you've got to do so many important things across your career. And but because I like animals so much, I'm gonna say that it's especially cool that you designed the White House pollinator garden <laughs> to protect the bees. Yeah, it's been such a privilege to have, you know, so many great experiences as a scientist and to have very diverse experiences. The pollinator garden was definitely a very, very cool project. Uh, do you know if it's still on the White House lawn? I think it is still there. I so. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, the The Pollinator Health Task Force, unfortunately, is not. Uh. Um, but, uh, you know, people around the country are still planting pollinator gardens. I know I plant one every yeah. year because I love butterflies and seeing the monarchs come. It's great. Right. There's been a real awareness raising thanks to you and others related to uh, pollinator protection. 
That's great. Well, Dr. Carter, I invited you today because I keep up with the Union of Concerned Scientists, and I saw a new report titled A Roadmap for Use of Science in Decision-Making, and wanted to talk to you as one of the report authors so you can summarize your recommendations for strengthening scientific integrity in federal government. But first, help us understand why there's a need for that. Like, what are the central overarching problems that enable the erosion of scientific integrity in the federal government? Like, what types of political interference happen? Yeah, uh, it, it was a, a, a big project and, and one that I think is really critically needed at this moment um, since um, especially 2017, we have seen a great uptick in um, examples where we have seen political interference in science. And that's what we're really referring to when we talk about scientific integrity is when science is supposed to be or, or used to inform decision-making or decision-making processes in the federal government and politics somehow inserts itself and sort of undermines that scientific process. So you end up having a decision that is not fully based or informed um, by the best available science. Um, so we did do this report on scientific integrity, um, mainly focusing on uh, policies that a lot of science-based agencies have. They're called scientific integrity policies. These were formed in uh, 2010 after the Office of Science and Technology Policy, um, the office that I formerly interned with, um, uh, crafted a memo that was sent by uh, President Obama's science advisor, John Holdren, um, and sent those out to agencies. And they had you know, some basic scientific integrity principles that they had to include. Um, but since then, you know, what we have noticed is that some of these provisions, while they look very great on paper, um, don't do so well in terms of their implementation. And so I think that's why we have seen a lot of uh, attacks on science happening. Um, for example, scientists being censored, uh, mm -hmm. science not being used um, uh, during the pandemic to inform uh, decision-making at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And so what the report really does is sort, uh, is try to get at those weaknesses um, in the policies and provide some recommendations for agencies to strengthen those policies um, starting in 2021 and, and beyond um, to make sure that science remains at the forefront of decision-making. Well, speaking of that, Dr. Carter, can you summarize for us some of the core recommendations that the Union of Concerned Scientists proposes for building in protections for scientific integrity within the federal government so these workers can serve the public interest like environmental protection, no matter which political party is in power? Yeah, I, we have quite a few recommendations. Um, I'll hit some ones that I think are uh, particularly important and um, that I would hope to see uh, a, a 2021 administration um, begin um, and take on in its first 100 days. So one of the, of the ones I think is uh, really critical and probably one of the ones that's most important is that uh, uh, in 2021, an administration should really work to appoint um, all the scientific leader, leadership positions um, across science-based agencies as quickly as possible. 
Um, so both Republican and Democratic administrations in the past have filled all these positions generally within about a year. Um, uh, during this year, we still have about 20 positions that are not filled. And some of those positions um, I think are really critically important. Um, so for example, uh, the Undersecretary uh, uh, of Health for Veterans Affairs is not filled. Um, and that is obviously a very important role right now, um, given that COVID affects uh, mainly older uh, individuals and so would uh, affect veterans um, that you know we would expect to have somebody in, a, in that leadership role taking care of, of our veterans' health. Um, there are a number of assistant directors at the Office of Science and Technology Policy that are not filled right now. Um, and they're responsible for coordinating issues such as uh, national security, international affairs, um, and then on science-based issues generally. So I think that's gonna be really critically important to get these scientific leadership positions in place. Um, and just in general, there has been a declining capacity of scientists within the federal workforce. Um, when you don't have a lot of scientists to do the science-based work mm. that needs to be done. It doesn't really get done. Um, mm. And then speaking of the Office of Science and Technology Policy, it would, would be really important for an administration to appoint a director to the Office of Science and Technology Policy who also serves as a science advisor to the president. So the president will have somebody to go to who is an expert in science policy and can talk to them about the best direction uh, to take the country on science-based issues. Um, we also recommend that office form three interagency committees to coordinate on three major science-based issues, one on COVID-19, the second on scientific integrity, and the third on environmental justice, as we mm. often see that communities of color and low-income communities uh, really bear the brunt of harm when our federal agencies don't make decisions based on science. Mm. Um, in terms of scientific integrity, we have a number of different recommendations. Um, I mentioned the implementation of the policies earlier, and that can become uh, particularly problematic if you have, uh, for example, a senior political appointee who is actually a person uh, committing the violation. And uh, let me walk you through why that is such an issue. Um, so these agencies, most of them, although not all of them, have a scientific integrity official who is responsible for uh, adjudicating a lot of the scientific integrity cases. Um, so let's say that uh, someone files a scientific integrity uh, violation um, that their science was manipulated by their boss, uh, a political official. Well, if that person has more power than the scientific integrity official, let's say it's their boss's boss or even their boss's boss's boss, um, that is a real power differential that is really hard for that scientific integrity official to oversee. Um, so therefore we have recommended that in these kinds of situations, um, it will be really important to give uh, enough power to the scientific integrity official to maybe work with the inspectors general's office uh, within the agency to help oversee that investigation because these inspector generals often have a lot more power and can um, help conduct uh, those types of cases when there have been uh, political officials um, involved. 
So this are just, um, you know, a few of the recommendations. Um, as I mentioned, there are a lot, so I can't uh, describe them all oh my uh, gosh. today. It, but it yeah. is such a detailed report, everybody. If you if you go to, if you look at the UCSUSA.org site and see the scientific integrity report, it's pr- it's really impressive. And so I do have to commend you, Dr. Carter, and your associates for like the really specific um, practical advice that you give there. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, for those just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman interviewing Dr. J- Dr. Jacob Carter, a research scientist with the Center for Science and Democracy at the Union of Concerned Scientists. We're talking about their detailed report on steps to strengthen scientific integrity at U.S. federal agencies so they can withstand partisan politics and cens- censorship in the future. The website is ucsusa.org. Dr. Carter, let's move to a particular federal agency in charge of environmental policies, such as the Environmental Protection Agency, where you have worked. Tell us some specific things that need to be shored up at the EPA in terms of protecting them from political interferences they've faced. Well, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, is they have a really strong scientific integrity policy. So one thing that we do in the report is we look at various provisions that these federal agencies have, and we have graded them based on a number of criteria. So if you go read the report, you'll see those criteria. And the Environmental Protection Agency um, receives good marks really across the board on a number of these uh, provisions. so the implementation is really sort of the, the issue at the Environmental Protection Agency where I discussed before, you know, if you have these senior political officials uh, committing the scientific integrity violation, which we see a lot, you want that scientific integrity official to work with the inspector general. There are some more specific um, decisions that the Environmental Protection Agency has made that really don't align with scientific integrity or science-based decision-making that we think um, an administration in 2021 should really work uh, to to look at and potentially reverse. Um, So one of those, uh, it's actually a rule the EPA put put forward um, and we call it the restricting science rule, although it's guised as a transparency rule, Mm. requires that all scientific studies that the agency used to inform rulemaking make their data publicly available. This is really problematic um, because this isn't always possible. So a lot of epidemiological studies environmental protection agency uh, relies on um, require that um, they don't release information, confidential information on uh, participants. So if you were to be involved in a study to determine how air pollution in your community is affecting your health and you sign up to take that study, you have to provide you know, your age, uh, maybe your sex, maybe where you live. And that information, the, the, uh, the research, uh, whoever's conducting the research, usually uh, remains confidential. And so that information cannot always be made possible. And what the Environmental Protection Agency's rule says is if you don't make that data publicly available, the study cannot be used to inform decision-making. Um, and this actually, we just saw this play out on a decision on a uh, registering uh, an, an insecticide called chlorpyrifos. 
So there's a lot of scientific evidence um, that uh, shows that this particular insecticide can uh, do a lot of harm, uh, especially to children and their neurological development. Mm. Um, EPA uh, was going to ban the chemical based on a human health uh, risk assessment that they did in 2016. Um, and they completely reversed that ban um, in 2017 um, and have been fighting um, this, this regulation um, in the courts since then. The courts have ruled against the Environmental Protection Agency, but they're still moving forward with uh, essentially refusing to ban uh, this insecticide. Uh, they recently released a revised uh, human health risk assessment. And in it, they specify that a key study showing children in utero can be significantly damaged neurologically from this exposure mm. to the same insecticide cannot inform the decision because the university, uh, Columbia, it's a Columbia University study, um, will not make the data publicly available. And so, mm. you know, this is a this is a really critical thing where people's public health, children's um, health is now going to be impacted uh, because the EPA says that the study can't make the data publicly uh, available. So it's which kind is- of like a technical, they're holding it up on a technicality because everybody who does research with human subjects knows you have to protect their privacy. <laughs> like, that's just obvious. Well, a key, yeah. a key part of just doing science generally is, you know, these studies go through peer review. I mean, yeah. I've been through it myself. It's a rigorous process. It's, you know, it's, other scientists don't uh, typically see uh, data either. Um, they're judging your study based on uh, your analysis, what you did statistically, um, and what your conclusions were that you drew from that analysis. And so it, it doesn't really matter if you know you're you're able to see the data. If this is a peer-reviewed study, it should be used, especially if it's going to affect public health. Um, so that just gives you one idea of, you know, there's a, there's a lot more. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have so many. The Environmental Protection Agency. But... <laughs> I was going to say that, like, and a lot of them, that was an example of kind of where you need to hold back some information so that you can make a decision on um, an insecticide. But then there's also um, a lot on your website about the need for more transparency and the need for scientists to be able to report on things without it being um, distorted or censored, kind of, you know, it like in the opposite direction. So it can kind of go either way with this notion of transparency um, that we also need the scientists to be able to communicate openly with the public without having politicians change what they write and, you know, change the language and things like that. That's, that's exactly correct. We, you know, we did a survey in 2018 um, where we sent um, a survey about scientific integrity and these, these issues um, to over 63,000 federal uh, scientists and experts across 16 science-based agencies. And we had um, a lot of reports of self-censorship. So mm. this is not a political official censoring, uh, you know, climate change from a report. These are career level scientists who are actually censoring climate change out themselves, uh, mostly out of fear of mm. retaliation, because we have seen 
uh, scientists retaliated against, fired, um, seen a number of whistleblowers who are scientists. Um, and so, you know, if you are uh, trying to support your, your, you have a family that you know you need to continue right. to support, you can't stand to lose your job. It's really hard to uh, come out in the open and um, uh, talk about these issues or, uh, you know, if, if they're um, are certain scientific terms yeah. that have been seen as a negative, you're not going to use them. Right. Like, for example, right now during the Trump administration, you know, he's not a proponent of act of climate action. That's not on his agenda. And so I imagine that creates, you know, part of this um, fear around that or, you know, in terms of him wanting to have more of a pro-business attitude, it might not go for some of the ideas to be stricter about protecting people from different pollutants like the insecticide that you mentioned and that kind of thing. Um, uh, well, this Union of Concerned Scientists report is so organized and detailed. How can your recommendations to protect scientific integrity get enacted? Like what kind of political will and action are, are needed? Well, there is a, um, I think a lot of these recommendations will uh, you know, help strengthen the scientific integrity policies within the agencies. And that will be very important to what happens internally at the agency. And, you know, I think what we've learned over the past year, 10 years um, um, at the Union of Concerned Scientists about how these scientific integrity policies are developed and implemented um, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see the light of day at these agencies and will definitely help to deter some of this political interference. I think also a lot of these uh, recommendations and the scientific integrity policies themselves and what they contain should be codified. And that will take uh, legislation through mm. Congress. Um, there is some great news though. Um, uh, there is a piece of legislation in Congress. Um, it's uh, relatively new. It's called the Scientific Integrity Act. Um, it has a number of these recommendations, not all of them that we make, but a number of them. Um, and uh, it had uh, moved through um, a committee and um, uh, had bipartisan support. Um, so um, right. Uh, it's a, it's really good news. That's great. Cause I was going to, my next question, just as we wrap up, if listeners are interested in getting involved with demanding that changes be made in federal agencies to allow government workers to act independently for the public interest, how can members of the public do that? I mean, one way I guess might be saying to their Congress people that they uh, would like them to support the um, scientific integrity act, which you just mentioned. Absolutely. And um, every time I get asked this question, and, and now that, you know, I have been on the other side and, and, and have done science policy for a long time, uh, it is incredibly important. Um, I know sometimes it can sound cliche, but it's incredibly important to call your representative right. and, and voice your concerns about these issues. They really do listen. Um, and, uh, you know, they take what they are hearing um, from their constituents very seriously. So call and uh, ask for your representatives to support the Scientific Integrity Act. That will be really crucial. Um, you can also, you know, we are um, in a uh, election year. Yeah. And so, um, uh, 
there are a number of candidates out there and asking them about mm. their stance on scientific integrity and science-based decision-making um, as a uh, helpful and informative you know, tool to understand where your candidates stand on these issues uh, can also be really helpful, I think. That's a great, that's great advice. Well, that is the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Dr. Carter, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thank you for the work you're doing in strengthening the healthy functioning of our government institutions so they can do their job in protecting us and our environment. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, take care. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash Nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember, take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers.